I was meeting with one of our Mastermind students recently, and he asked the question about church membership. He didn't ask it this way, but this is how I titled today's podcast, What is the Point of Becoming a Church Member? And so we talked about it for a little while, and afterward I thought, you know what, this might be worthy of a Life Over Coffee podcast, and so that's what I'm talking about here, episode 211. Just so you know, I do meet with our Mastermind students individually, privately, once a month. It's part of what our program is. We have an all-online distance education training course. It is comprehensive and thoroughly transforming, but part of what I want to do is to make sure that we are personalizing it it into the lives of the students so that they can make the most out of it. I don't want it just to be educational or theoretical. We want it to be practical, and of course, the most practical way that you can apply our program is to apply it to yourself. One of the ways that we do that is we do have these private meetings. It's, and by the way, if you want to learn about our Mastermind program, we have an informational page on our website. Please go and read that. If you ask about our Mastermind program, that's the first thing that we're going to tell you. We want you to do due diligence, and so you can consider that your first homework assignment. And then after you read that and listen to the podcast, and if you have any remaining questions, we would love to interact with you at that point. But as I was meeting with the Mastermind student, we began to have this discussion about church membership, and I thought, well, after that discussion here, it might be it might be worth my time just to put all this into a podcast. So here you go. If you want to read the show notes, what I'm going to share with you, please go to episode 211. The title of the podcast is, What is the Point of Becoming a Church Member? By the way, welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. And so here's the question, does the Bible command that I become a church member? Well, that part is easy to answer. The answer to the question is absolutely not. The Bible doesn't say that. No, but honestly, that's that's not the best way to frame this discussion. You see, the Bible doesn't mandate most of the things that we do. This very podcast that I'm doing right now, the Bible doesn't tell me to do a podcast. Thou shalt do a podcast. There are more things that you do not, uh, there are more things that you do that the Bible doesn't say one way or the other. And so asking whether the Bible mandates church membership is not the best way to approach this subject. It would be better to talk about the wisdom of becoming a church member. Sometimes folks will ask me if I have a verse for something that I believe personally or something that I suggest to others. Their question implies that everything we do must have a Bible verse attached to it. I understand their concern. I know what they're saying. Having a verse attached to everything that you do, honestly, it's an untenable way to live your life. If you want to study more about this idea, I do have an embedded link in these show notes. The title of the article that you can go to and the podcast that you can listen to is You Do Not Need a Verse for Everything You Do. And if you want to, you can listen to that or read that article, and that would be great. Most of the things we do throughout our lives do not have Bible verses directly attached to them. 
The Dutch theologian Herman Bavink had the best advice about this worldview. I'm just going to quote uh, a portion of what Bavink said from his Reformed Dogmatics volume number two, God in Creation. Bavink said this, Scripture was not given to us in order that we should merely repeat its exact words in parrot-like fashion, but in order that we should digest it in our own minds and express it in our own words. That use was made of Scripture by Jesus and the apostles, who not only quoted the exact words of Scripture— but also by a process of reasoning arrived at inferences and conclusions based on these words. The Bible is neither a statute book nor a dogmatics text, but it is the source of theology as word of God. Not only its exact words have binding authority, but so have all conclusions that are properly derived from it. Now you want to you really want to focus on what he said properly derived from it. Bavink continues by saying, furthermore, neither study of scripture nor theological activity is at all possible unless one uses terms that do not occur in the Bible. Bavink is correct. The Bible is not a statute book or dogmatics text, but the source of theology. Most of life's decisions come under the big umbrella of wisdom issues. No, the Bible doesn't tell me that I should do a podcast, and neither should you. And the Bible will not tell you specifically who you should marry. And there are a million other decisions that you will make in your lifetime that the Bible will not tell you directly. The requirement is on us to study the Bible so we know how to live in such a way that is not out of step with this direct teaching or applied wisdom. Therefore, the issue about membership is not whether the Bible commands it, but if it's a wise thing for the believer to do. I would say in almost every case, it is wise. I say almost every case, perchance there is a solid reason not to do it, though I'm not sure what that reason would be, but maybe there is a a biblical implied reason for not becoming a member of a local church. But I would say in almost every case, if the church says, uh, has a part of their governance that you become a member, if that's what they believe in practice, then if God is calling you to be at that church, then I would say it's wise to be a member. I want to give you seven things for you to think about regarding church membership. They're not in any order of, of uh, importance, but I want you to consider them. And again, you can read all of these things that I'm sharing with you as you look at the show notes for episode 211. The first one is integrity. If you're in faith to be part of a church, you should submit to its teaching and expectations. Now, I am not saying you have to believe or teach precisely what they teach, but you must humbly submit to the leadership. If you can't submit with joy, you know, perhaps you need to find a church where you can. I want to give you three illustrations of this concept of submitting 
to an authority, even if you don't adhere to all of the beliefs. This is a very common thing. We do this all the time. In fact, I'm pretty sure you do it too. For example, here's an illustration of how you can do that. Submit to do what the organization believes that you should do, even though you might not be in total lockstep with everything that they teach. Let's say that you choose to work at the local production plant. You don't like all the rules in the company handbook, but you believe you should be there. So what do you do? What should you do? You should follow all of the rules because they are not asking you to sin. Now, if they're asking you to sin, that's a whole other matter. you got another issue on your hands if they're asking you to sin. But most people, I would say virtually everyone who has a job, they don't believe everything that is in the company handbook, but they're in faith to be there. It happens all the time. Illustration number two, I live near Bob Jones University, a Christian university. It's about 20 minutes from my doorstep. I have also counseled scores of alumni who went to that school Many of them talked about how they rebelled against the rules of the institution while attending. That speaks more disfavorably to the student than it does to the institution. They would not submit to the authority in every way, though they gave the perception that they were in line with the beliefs of the institution. That is problematic. If you're not in line with the institution, you can submit humbly to their rules. My wife, by the way, went to Bob Jones University. She didn't believe all the rules that they had in their handbook, but she was there for the education, and she knew that she could hold her breath and stand on her head for four years, and and she did. And she didn't cause any trouble whatsoever and, and supported the university and its endeavors. You can do that. Uh, You can also do that with your high school. You can do it with whatever college that you go to. Unless they're asking you to sin, then again, it's another issue. Third illustration, some folks take food and drinks into a movie theater that forbids them from doing so. This attitude is similar to the cake shop that refuses to make a cake for a gay couple. They have the right to write They have the right to write a policy that suits their beliefs. And if the movie theater says you're not allowed to bring drinks and and food into the theater and you want to see the movie, then you shouldn't do that. And if the cake shop says that, you know, we don't make cakes for gay couples, it doesn't mean that we don't love them and don't want to engage them, but this is our policy. If you don't like what they stand for, go to another cake shop. Let me give an illustration along this point, because this happened to us a few years ago. I'm not sure what I was thinking. I'm not going to delve too deep into it, but we went to a movie, all five of us, uh, Lucia and our three children, we went to a movie, and I did. I took uh, drinks or a drink, I don't remember how many, and I took food into the theater, and there was a sign there that said, basically, we prohibit that, but I did it anyway. We watched the movie, we had our drinks, we, we uh, ate our food that we carried in, and then we came home, and the Lord began to convict me of that. And so I gathered my family up, all five of us, and a few days later, we went back to that movie theater, and I went up to the window, the ticket window, 
And the lady that was there, I told her what I did, and I told her that it was wrong for me to do that, and I gave her a $20 bill. And I said, that's more than you know what we were going to uh, purchase uh, we would we don't purchase we would not purchase more than that in the theater it more than covered that she didn't want it but i insisted that she take it because it was important to us to honor the rules of i don't necessarily believe in that rule and i have some christian brothers who also don't believe in that and but they would break the rule and and take food in there just as i did uh, but that is wrong. That's an integrity issue. Selectively choosing the rules you want to follow when those rules are not sinful speaks to a person's lack of integrity, lack of humility, lack of biblical wisdom. And so the Bible doesn't mandate that you should be uh, a church member, but if you believe that you should be part of that church and that is part of how they do church, then the wise thing for you to do is to become a church member. So the first issue is integrity. The second issue is self-reliance. You see, this kind of selective obedience is also called self-reliance, meaning I'm going to do it your way and I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, I'm going to rely on myself partially. We're called to live out our faith by relying on God and if you believe, meaning you're in faith, to be part of this organization, then you need to trust God for how you do it. You can't partially hold back and do it your way. We are not to make decisions apart from complete trust in God. And if God is calling you to this local church, you can't have selective obedience. Partially relying on him is a form of double-mindedness, and it speaks to something that is going on in your heart. Now, typically, when you talk about self-reliance or self-sufficiency, what is going on in the heart of the person is functional fear. It is fear that is tempting them to rely on doing it their way or doing it their way partially. Fear tethers a person to their wisdom while they are attempting to walk God's way. So they believe God is, is asking them, compelling them to be part of this organization, but they do it tentatively, self-reliantly, meaning there is fear working in their heart. You have to address that. Maybe that is legitimate fear that is telling you not to be part of the organization, but you can't serve two masters. Mortifying the fear that hinders full faith is essential. And so we have integrity reasons, we have self-reliance, and then we have this practical matter of safety. And this, I said these aren't in order of importance or priority, but maybe this should be at the top of the list. Another reason to become a church member is for the protection of the children. Every church should do background checks on all the members who work with children. No non-member should be permitted to work with any of the children in any capacity of a local church. Church membership is a way uh, to determine who the people will be that serves the babies, the toddlers, the children, the youth, the young adults. The membership covenant should make it clear that, that membership creates a pool of volunteers. 
And those who want to work with the young people out of that church membership, well, then those people will go through appropriate evaluations like background checks. It, it is, it is, if you're part of a local church that allows anybody to uh, interact with the kids in, in a program uh, capacity, whether they're taking care of the babies, the toddlers, the youth group, whatever they may be, and they're not members, uh, you need to say something immediately about that. This idea of the safety of the children, and there has to be a process so that you can vet the people. You can vet the people who are engaging with the children, and the membership is the first line that separates the non-member from the member. So now we have a committed group of people. They're members of the church. Now within that pool, you have people who want to work with the children. Now there is a more stringent process for them, like background checks. Another issue for consideration is shepherding care. The leadership of the church is not omnipresent, and they're not omnipotent. What I mean by that is they cannot appropriately care for every person who shows up on Sunday morning. The leaders, and now I'm saying this from a pastoral perspective because I did pastor for a few years, leaders need methods that help them to know where to commit their time and efforts for caring for those who come to them. Pastoring is a hard job, and pastors take their job seriously. And as much as you want to help everybody that walks through that door in a hands-on way, you want to get in their lives and serve them, it's just not possible. Let me give you an illustration from this ministry. I would love to care for the 12,000-plus folks on our Facebook page. I want to care for the 6,000-plus free members on our website, but I can't. It's not possible. And so the way that I determine who gets my best time, who gets my most effective care, is their commitment to our organization. We have to have a way of vetting people because if, if we just jumped every time somebody said something, well, I would be divorced, my family would be dysfunctional, the ministry would dissolve. There has to be a methodological process. And so the way that I determine who gets my best time and my care is based on the commitment to the organization the way that works out. For example, our mastermind students receive most of my time. The reason for that is, is because they're making the most significant commitment. If someone comes to a local church and they make a serious commitment to the local church, but the church spends all of their time evangelizing or taking care of the city or taking care of the nations, but they're not taking care of the people who actually committed to the local church, well, that's an integrity issue on the local church. If our mastermind students come to us and commit to us, but I don't spend any time or give them my best time, then that's on me. That's a problem with me and my worldview. And so our mastermind students receive the most effective care. The supporting members, those who commit to us financially, they come next. I will jump quicker for those who are supporting us financially, and that's a reasonable thing to do. That should be an expectation. And though I can provide resources for the hundred plus thousand people who come to us each month, 
I can only give a few folks my best care. I have an article uh, embedded at this point in these show notes, and it's titled, Do You Want My Attention or Do You Want My Care? I can give a lot of people my attention. There will be thousands of people that will listen to this podcast. They are receiving my attention, but they won't receive my care. I will not be at their doorstep. I, I will not be meeting them like I met our mastermind student to talk about this idea of, of church membership. Even Jesus and all his greatness could only care for a few. His commitment to people was comparable to their commitment to him. And you'll see that as you study Jesus' time management principles, because in his humanity, he was neither omnipresent nor omnipotent. And though he was not rude, dismissive, or uncaring to anyone, he had to have parameters to determine who would receive his most intentional care. And so this idea of church membership, at this juncture, I'm coming at it from a shepherding care perspective. The shepherds need to know how uh, to figure out to care for the people that come to them. And so there has to be these growing concentric circles. One of the places where we see Jesus doing this was with, with, was with the rich young ruler. Uh, there's a lot of words to say there. I have a speech impediment, by the way, and so I get tangled up on words, and some words I don't pronounce correctly, which some of you know and some of you have said before, and that's fine. I don't mind I don't mind you poking fun at me or, or talking about how I pronounce some of my words. There was a young fellow in Sinaloa, Mexico, where I was doing a conference last year, and he, he said that about how I pronounced a particular word. But, but Jesus had parameters to determine how he would who would receive his most intentional care, as you see with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16 through 26. And so this idea of shepherding care is important. And then church discipline. I do not recommend a church disciplining, or what I prefer to say is church restoration, that you don't seek to restore a person who's not a member of your local church. I'm speaking of Matthew 18, 15 through 17. The member's covenant must state clearly that the church does employ the disciplined restoration process with its members. Counselors do this. We have similar agreements with folks who, who come to us. We call them informed consent forms. We, we have a membership covenant, so to speak, we, during this season of counseling. It's an informed consent form that the person has to sign so that they know what the expectations are. And it lets them know how we counsel and why we counsel a specific way. Well, a membership covenant should inform the potential church member all of what it means to commit to that local assembly. And if it's a biblical church, they will, sadly, but they will from time to time exercise the church restoration process. But I would not do that to any non-member. I do not recommend that. And so I've talked about reasons or the wisdom issues of being a church member, the integrity perspective, self-reliance, talking about selective obedience, safety of the children, paramount, shepherding care, help the pastors to discern their, their commitment and managing their own time and their own families. Uh, then church restoration or church discipline was number five. Number six is non-binding. It's nothing more than a policy manual. I used the illustration earlier about working at the production factory. You sign off. You sign the forms. Here's the employee handbook. 
You follow the employee handbook. And when it comes time to when you don't want to do that, well, okay, it's non-binding. It's a policy manual. The membership covenant informs you of what you're going to receive from this church and the expectations they have for you and you have for them. And it's perfectly reasonable to have expectations and it's kind of the leadership to be clear about them. It's non-binding. And my last point is divisive. Unity is a vital necessity for all Christian relationships. There should not be a hairline fracture in the body of Christ, which includes the local church. If you're going to be part of a local gathering, you must be willing to submit to the leadership, which means following them according to the policies of the church. If you can't do this, you want to be doubly careful about setting an example that creates and perpetuates division in that body. There will never be a church that you agree with in every way. It's not reasonable to expect that kind of allegiance. And no church covenant should be like the Hotel California. If you don't know that reference, let's just say where you can check in anytime you wish, but you can never leave. No church covenant should be that way. If you don't like the church any longer, assuming your reasons are biblical, you're free to go. As I said earlier, church membership cannot be binding. Church membership is a reasonable expectation for the Christian. If you're not able to become a member from a conscience perspective, you should talk with one of the leaders to work through the inhibiting issues, whatever they may be. This is episode 211. The question is, I was having this discussion with one of our Mastermind students, what is the point of becoming a church member? Here are a few questions that I want you to think about as I wrap up this podcast. Number one, are you in faith to be at your local church? Now, if you don't know what I mean when I say in faith, that is the language of our ministry, but actually that is the language of Paul in Romans 14, 23, that everything that we do, we must proceed, we must go forward in faith. And if you're not sure of what it means to be in faith or how to make a a biblical decision, then I would encourage you to read the article that's embedded in these show notes about how to make a a biblical decision. But the question is, are you in faith to be part of this local church? If you are, then I recommend that you be part of the local church, that you do what they ask you to do. Number two, what is your church membership's policy? Do you know? Well, that's part of what it means to make a biblical decision. You need to know that, and you need to ask the question, do I agree with it? If you don't agree on every matter, then I would appeal to you to talk to your leadership to gain their perspectives as well as a path forward. It could be like working at the production factory. It could be like going to a movie theater. You don't have to believe in all the policies, but are you willing to submit to them. You want to be careful about divisiveness. Do you believe that you must agree with everything your church believes? Now, if you, if you do believe that, then I want to challenge you there. Why do you believe that way? Or let me ask it another way. Do you hold a similar view on marriage or with children? <laughs> if you have children and you expect them to believe everything that you believe, well, then you're not going to be a family because that's not possible. But, but can you be a family 
with reasonable rules and expectations, even though you have different personalities and different beliefs and different preferences? Well, of course you can. You better. Or if you're married, your spouse, do you think it's reasonable to be in lockstep with everyone because you commit to the relationship? It's not reasonable. You can't be. And you don't want to put yourself in that place to where I have to agree with every jot and tittle of what this church believes before I can become a member. That would be highly problematic. We're all fallen people. The episode is 211. What is the point of becoming a church member? If you would like to discuss this with me, I would love to discuss it with you. Come to our website and jump on our forums and ask your question, and it would be a privilege to engage you about this idea. It falls under the umbrella of wisdom issues, and you want to think about it from a wisdom perspective. It's a good idea, and there are several reasons for it. I've shared those with you. Perhaps you disagree and want to discuss. Please let us do that with you. If you don't mind, as you listen to this podcast, Life Over Coffee, would you do me a favor? Would you go on the platform that you're hearing this podcast, iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and would you give us a five-star rating, and would you write a review? Some of you have already responded to that. Some of you have written reviews for Your Daily Drive, some Life Over Coffee. If you listen to both of our networks, would you write a review for both of them? It will help us to continue to grow and reach people. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.